welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. Steve Hanley, Joe Boris, and myself, Zachary Shahan, are here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where clean tech writers, the three of us, talk about some of the latest <laughs> EV news. We've been calling this Clean Round Talk uh, as a kind of yeah, short because it's like a it's like a roundtable. It's like a roundtable discussion. Yeah, with, with three people, so it's, technically it's a triangle. But yes, that's <laughs> the tripod of power. You can make it round if you want. Anything can be round. Okay, so today we're talking about a couple of very different topics, or I guess related perhaps. Uh, Dodge's EV efforts, uh, sort of the new electrification announcements, and Chinese EV innovation and leadership, just a portion of it because it's a big topic, but a couple of recent stories. So to start off, I think I'll probably stay away from talking Dodge because just frankly speaking, I'm not a fan of the design of their vehicles, and uh, I don't like looking at them. So I feel like I'm too biased to have a (laughs) neutral take on the news. But Steve wrote about it. Joe wanted to talk about it. So off you go, boys. Maybe Yeah, so basically what we're talking about is Dodge had their three-day speed week event up in Pontiac, Michigan this last week. Steve wrote a great article talking about this. You can check that out at cleantechnica.com. But what was revealed there was a couple of things. The first one was a hybrid sort of crossover SUV. This was a decontented version of the Alfa Romeo, which, I mean, I guess if you're a Dodge customer, you're probably not cross shopping against Alfa Romeo. So I think that's probably not the worst badge engineering in the world. But the real kicker was they displayed their new Dodge Charger SRT concept electric car. This is supposed to be the next generation of the American muscle car. This is going to replace the Hemi in the drag racing world. And it's got the long hood, the short deck, that real performance car dragster sort of styling that Mopar has been known for for the last 40 or 50 years. And if you look at it, it absolutely looks the part. You know, it, it may not look great to everybody, but it, it's going to, the people who like the way the Mopars look are going to love the way this thing looks. The details are perfect and all of it, they have a ratchet shifter to really give you that maximization of that low RPM torque that electric motors have. So everything really seems like they did their job right. And then it kind of gets ruined because in the last minute, someone put a speaker underneath the car that plays V8 engine noise to the outside of the car. So like, you know, you're sitting in this thing. It's a perfectly electric car. It's quiet, but it's going so that everybody around you can turn their heads and look at the insecure man child behind the wheel of this thing. And I, I just can't take the car seriously at all. It just seems completely ridiculous and I, I, I think, frankly, Stellantis and, and Dodge should be embarrassed that that's what they think is going to appeal to their customer. Sounds fabulous. Steve? I don't think they're embarrassed. I think the point, Joe, is that their customer base is minuscule, and they are leaning so heavily on their past laurels 
The car is officially known as the Dodge Charger Daytona SRT. That's Daytona, right. Daytona is in there because a Dodge Charger was the first car in 1970. Oh my gosh, fans, this is exciting. This to, is great break, stuff. to break 200 miles per hour on a NASCAR track. And so, you know, it, it, there are most people alive don't remember the 19, don't remember 1970. <laughs> no. And so I, it, it leans so heavily on the past and it, it caters in almost slavishly to people who are into drag racing, which, and I mean, if you're into drag racing, God bless you. It's been a, it's been a popular American sport for since the first car, I suppose. Uh, and I'm not opposed to racing. I, 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 I can tell you one of the most joyous occasions in my life was waking up on an October morning in Watkins Glen, New York, and hearing the sound of Formula and Formula One engines at sunrise. Oh, that well, was I another thought, 1970s reference. Well, That's a yes, good one. But I can tell you the the energy, the electricity that went through the crowd when those engines started up was something never to be forgotten. So, right, but that was an authentic experience. That was something that was a part of the show and was inherent to what you were seeing. This seems very manufactured and very contrived. It doesn't, it doesn't have the, you know, when you think of that original Daytona, you think of the nose cone, you think of the tall rear wing and the aerodynamic shape that allowed it to break 200 and the 426 Hemi and the unique sound that had over that plane, you know, VAs from Chevy. And you think about all, all of those things, those were all genuine experiences that wow people. And I think this is this is a replica and it's a watered down electric replica at that. And it just seems it seems a very cynical exercise. It's well, uh, the only saving grace, Joe, and it, and it, it may be thin people who who hate electric cars are going to buy these things and they're going to find out, oh, my gosh. This is really a great vehicle. I'm going to tell my friends at work about this, and I'm going to tell my my buddies at the drag strip. I really like my Dodge Charger Daytona SRT. But don't um, you feel like? Don't you feel like it's like putting? It's almost like putting an AMG sticker on the back of a base Mercedes, or like a Type R sticker on the back of a Honda Civic. Like it, it it's fake. Like everybody who knows it's fake. Well. Uh, let me share a little personal experience with you. I, I, I bought a Toyota Prius in 2007, uh, which was one of the first years of the, the, the more attractively styled Prius. And just for fun, I went to the local auto parts store and I got two chrome exhaust t- uh, tips, <laughs> uh, attached them under the rear bumper with hose clamps. And I went online and I found a chrome turbo sticker that I put on the back of my Prius. <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the, the guys, the mechanics at the dealership went nuts. They came around, they took pictures of it. They thought it was hysterical. I had people following me on the highway. I could see them creeping up, trying to figure out where this turbo Prius came from. It was great fun, but it was fake, of course, which is your point. But that's, I feel like that's different, right? Because I feel like that is good humor. I feel like that's, you know, self-deprecating. This is, this is like, that was, I, I don't that know. Was a this joke, is like a bad toupee. 
That was a joke, right? Steve, that wasn't, uh, you weren't trying to show off, right? Uh, no, I, I was, uh, I was uh, gently poking fun at, at, at Prius and there and, and all the, uh, the Al Gore, uh, I'm greener than you are crowd. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It's, I mean, it sounds like a perfect, I mean, that was like the South park episode, the smug. I don't know if you ever saw that. There was a great episode from South park where, you know, it, it's a play on the smog from Los Angeles. Everybody started driving Priuses and oh, they yeah. said that the smug had descended over the city. It was classic, but <laughs> I mean, I I've said my piece on this thing, man, if, if you're driving, look, if, if you're driving this car and you're sitting there revving a fake engine so that people can turn around and see you in the car, like, if you really crave attention, like, you know, the 13 year old little girl that you are inside. Good for you, man. Dodge finally made a car that'll go right up your alley. Well, I will just bring up Dodge, Dodge fans, drivers, owners. They do go to the drag strip a lot, don't they? Isn't Dodge sort of. I mean, I, I think that's probably true. Like, you know, one of the race cars that, you know, the Schweitzer brothers built, it was a Dodge dart. And, you know, there's plenty of guys that take Dodge neons, still take Dodge neons out to the road courses and the SCCA and NASA circuits. And, you know, those are really great performance cars. And I I think it comes to that. And yeah, I think that's probably true, but I still think that the most mainstream buyer of a Dodge product today is they're buying like a journey. They're buying like an SUV or a crossover. Like, I'm not sure what this is or who it's for, but I know I don't like them. Yeah. I mean, I will say I, I have, I, I, I honestly cannot relate to, there's a lot of cars I can be like, Oh, that's an interesting car. I, I might, I might be interested in that. And I just, I really don't like how Dodge. If it didn't enough. have, if it didn't have the speaker, I would probably have already ordered one. Okay. Well, I, I can't relate to the, to the, to the brand of you know the, the car brand anyway but it makes me right. wonder like how many of the people who really love dodge cars like that would want an electric one and then how many of the ones who would want an electric one would want an electric one that didn't sound electric and i mean just start getting into really i mean i i can i i think you know there are a lot of dodge fans who probably like they they realize evs have taken over for instant torque, especially for, for performance on the drag strip. And they probably want a Dodge that's going to win on the drag strip against some EV brand they don't like. But <laughs> Right. But like I, Ford or Chevy. But then do they also want it to have the, the sound? I don't know. I mean, can, is the sound optional, for, by the way? Can you just, or is it? A, oh, no, it comes, it comes with it. Yeah, I mean, but you, I'm sure you can turn it off. But the fact that it's there is an embarrassment. Actually, Joe, from what I read uh, on uh, on the news this morning, it's not necessarily a speaker. It's some sort of air box with baffles, and they blow air through it to to uh, recreate this sound. I frankly, I, I I mean, I don't know how it works. But well, uh, since we're talking about EV innovation, uh, the, <laughs> what a segue! The wow. Other, the other topic, which I was interested in talking about, was basically how certain Chinese EV brands are are innovating, what they're doing. There's a few recent news stories that are quite interesting. And then uh, beyond that, Steve had the idea of roping around to the topic of globalization and backlash to globalization and that kind of thing, uh, especially the Chinese-US dynamic. So we're going to get a little deeper here on into the weeds. But uh, on the on the first topic, 
few recent stories. One is that Neo, a Chinese EV, smart EV, as, as these companies like to call themselves, smart EV startup from China, is going to be entering the U.S. market in 2025, according to its plans. So it's really not that that far out, but you know, it's it's a uh, it's notably further than Europe, where it's already entered the market, and it might be taking its battery swapping service to the U.S. market. It's it does it offers this in China. It's doing it in Europe now as well. Now that it's entered that market, and while many people thought battery swapping was dead after Better Place died, and after Tesla basically dabbled, maybe if you're being generous in the idea. Neo has actually done like a bazillion battery swaps and and really seems to find the the service uh, works well for them. So that's it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if that actually happens, if it brings it to the U.S. and and what happens from there. And then just re- another sort of related one before I let you guys t- t- you know, chime in on this is that Xpeng, another major Chinese EV, smart EV startup has just unveiled some ridiculously fast uh, supercharging. It's it can charge it has it's bringing 800 volt vehicles to market and rolling out new S4 superchargers that can add 200 kilometers of range in 5 minutes, which is basically the best on the market um, for a mass market vehicle. This is of course, you know, not the US yet either. So it's since Xpeng is not in the US, it also is based in China, but has just recently entered Europe. But it's, it's you know, another case of a Chinese EV brand doing something different or more than than anyone else in the industry is doing. So before getting on to other topics, Steve, and then Joe, what are your thoughts on these two stories? Well, let's talk about battery swapping for a minute, Zach. There is almost no interest in battery swapping in the United States. People think it's a, uh, a silly, useless uh, technology. But I noticed that CATL, C-A-T-L, the uh, largest battery manufacturer in the world, has started building their own battery swap stations. And I, if I'm correct, I think BYD is as well, although these are all in China where battery swapping is not looked upon as, uh, you know, Tesla, as you mentioned, Tesla tried it once, they tried it over a weekend, it didn't work, and they said, well, we're not doing that anymore. But in China, it appears to be a well-regarded technology, and it has several advantages. One, you're in and out in five minutes. It's all automated. You drive in, it takes less time than going through the car wash. You drive out with a fully charged battery. What's wrong with that? Not only that, the battery that you get is the latest spec battery available. So that if you have a 2018 uh, Neo and you drive in in 2022 for a battery swap, you get a 2022 battery in your 2018 Neo. And well, that's a sweet thing, I think. You can choose different sizes. For instance, if you're going on a trip and you want a 100 kilowatt hour battery for your trip so you don't have to charge as frequently, you go to your battery swap station, you press the right button, you get a 100 kilowatt battery. When you get back, you want to save some money. You don't want to pay for all that money for a 100 kilowatt hour battery so you can run to the to the grocery store or Walmart and back. You can knock it back to a 40 or a 30 kilowatt hour battery if it meets your needs and pay less money. One of the things that I hear frequently from my friends who ask about electric cars is, oh, but you know what happens when you have to pay to replace the battery? Well, with battery swapping, 
that is an issue that goes away. So you have two major benefits, fast, convenient, access to a fully charged battery, and a battery that is always, it's actually doesn't belong to you, so you don't have to worry about it. It belongs to the company. You never have to have the concern of, wow, am I going to get stuck with the $15,000 bills or replace my battery at some point in the future? I think that's, those are two pretty important factors. Do you think that's a legitimate concern though? I mean, I remember going back to like 2006, right? December, 2006 into 2007, the iPhone, the the Blackberries, first of all, came out first. And then the iPhone came out in 2007 and people were talking about, well, how much does the battery cost? You know, I wouldn't buy a cell phone if I didn't know what the battery cost. And now we all have these smartphones. We never change the battery. It's just not a real issue. It just seems like something that, people come up with to drag their feet into the new century. Right. So I kind of feel like, you know, you don't buy a V6 Honda SUV and ask what the price of a transmission is or what the price of a new you know, shock is. You just ask about the warranty. Maybe you buy the extended warranty and that's it. And you move along. And I think that if people really knew what a car engine costs, like if you buy a you know Mercedes C300 and the engine goes, it's like a $20,000 engine to put in that car. But people don't ask that question of a internal combustion car. I think the fact that they're asking about an EV is, it's kind of disingenuous, right? Or, or am I missing, I'm missing the boat there? I think that's a good point, Joe. And the, my response to that would be, it may not be that important to new car buyers, but it could be critically important to used car buyers. That's a great point. That is a good point. I was going to say, I agree with you, Joe, uh, but I also think it's an issue that is front of mind for a lot of people that won't go away. I do. I like your point that it's sort of an excuse to drag your feet into going electric. I, I think that is a big point, but, but I think it's something that a lot of people worry about and think about even EV, even, even many EV owners and, as Steve pointed out, this just like eliminates the the issue. It's like it doesn't matter because you're just get whatever battery the swap station is giving you next. There there are some issues with battery swapping, but I think I think a couple of the big benefits, aside from what Steve noted, is that especially in large cities where people, a lot of people are who are going to go electric are not going to have a place to charge. You then have a couple of options, fast or a few options, fast charging a lot charging like on the street or something or at destinations or battery swapping and battery swapping offers the most like reliable kind of exp- you know you know what you you're going to get you like you don't have to worry about stations being down or blocked and you just basically know oh there's there are these battery swapping stations i can drive into and i drive out and i have a new battery and i think I think that that has a lot of appeal in very urban places. And, that you know, China has got these giant mega cities where it just seems to be working very well for them because I, I think it just is a very appealing idea for a lot of people who decide they want to go electric, but they don't want to think about charging. So I, I think that could work well in big cities in the U.S. Joe could sp- speak more about Chicago, for example, or or in, in Europe. But, yeah, that's my final thoughts on swapping unless... Uh, anyone else wants to chime in, we could jump to the, the ultra fast charging too. Well, I, I just want to point out that, you know, we're, we've been talking about battery swapping as something that's being done by Neo in China and things like that. And as they come to the U S there, there have been conversations within shell, you know, shell recharge, which is a Neo partner globally about bringing that kind of technology to the U S 
I I've personally sat at a table with some people from shell while they talked about it. So I, I wouldn't say that they're committed to it, but it's certainly a part of the conversation and they are pushing for that capability to be able to offer that exclusively in the U S. And I think that would be, you know, if, if they were able to pull off something like that, I think it would be probably very good for them and, and nice for Neo coming into the U S market to have such a recognizable trusted brand as shell to kind of, uh, you know, help, help usher them in. Because I, th I think that, you know, even though Chinese cars are here and they're Chinese built cars in the United States right now, it's not a Chinese brand to Steve's point from the last show. So I think anything that they can do to sort of be vetted by a, a more trusted brand is going to help them from a marketing perspective. That is really interesting. I would just ask, is that, would they be licensing it and then offering it to other brands or they would just sort of be the partner for Neo that would walk Neo into the market with the. Well, but that's the question, right? Like, could you have multiple brands using a battery? If you had a standardized battery, you probably could. If you're talking about a Tesla that has a structural battery, obviously you can't remove that. It's part of the structure. Okay. Well, that's a really interesting. I'm curious to see where that goes. Are you a problem solver? Wetzilla has been at the forefront of engineering innovation since 1834. Today, our next generation of leaders design and provide the tools to integrate and manage power grids that combine renewables with flexibility solutions, traditional thermal assets, and energy storage. No matter the size or location, we're a team championing the problem solvers of our future. We use the power of collaboration and co-creation to make a difference. Visit storage.wordzilla.com forward slash careers to learn more today. On the topic of ultra fast charging, you guys can jump in, but basically, you know, most EVs have 400 volt powertrain systems and that limits how fast you can, you can supercharge. I think the Taycan has 800 volts. I'm not sure about the Lucid, but there's not really any mass market EVs that have 800 volt uh, systems and Xpeng is bringing this G9 SUV to market that will and rolling out these these ridiculously fast superchargers 480 kilowatt you know a lot of early Tesla superchargers were 150 they've gotten up to you know 250 or 350 but this is 480 480 kilowatt superchargers Xpeng is starting to roll out Joe or Steve jump in and let me know what you think about innovation again coming out of china on ev charging in this case zachary you make a good point there are very 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 few cars that are capable of taking advantage of that sort of high power if you drive a chevy bolt you could have a thousand kilowatt charger and it's not going to charge any faster however it's sort of like computer chips in the 80s and the 90s the things just get getting faster and faster yeah. So I, I think what Steve is talking about there is, you know, kind of the Moore's law effect, right? So in, in the 19, actually since the 1960s, Intel has been running a system on what's been become known as Moore's law, which says that computers, computer chips and processors get twice as fast and half the price every six months. And that kind of thing, we are seeing that in the world of EV charging, but I think it's something that needs to be brought out more visibly when people talk about EVs, especially to people who are, have not 
had the experience of, you know, having an electric car or understand the notion of fast chargers. Because if you read an article or you see something that says, hey, you know, you can go to this charger and charge 200 miles in 20 minutes. I think the average person who's buying a car may not understand that the EV that they own can't take advantage of that in the way that something like a Lucid Air with a 900 volt system or a Porsche Taycan with an 800 volt system can take advantage of it. And I think that that's, you know, a question of education. I don't really like the way that people talk about EVs. Like we call, you know, a, a, a 300 watt charger volt charger is, is still a level three fast charger. Right. So that notion of these, of the level three being sort of anything above level two is I think very confusing, but even the manufacturers have a hard time talking about this when Volvo and charge point came out with their, you know, Seattle to Denver map. And they talked about this high-speed charging in 20 minutes. You know, it, nobody noticed that none of the Volvos have that 800 volt architecture to be able to take advantage of that. So even within their own corporate marketing, they're putting out an idea that just doesn't happen. And when I asked their PR people about it, they looked at me like I had nine heads, like they just had no concept of what I was talking about. And it, it it's frustrating when you try to have these conversations and like, you know, I, I, I hesitate to plug my friend, Matt Teske, you know, with, with his, with his product Chargeway, but we've covered it a number of times. And I think that the ability to simplify it and just say, look, you've got a level four car. It can take juice at level four. You've got a level seven car. It can take juice at level seven. I think something like that is needed to simplify this conversation for the general public. Yeah, we'll just remove no, no, no complimenting friends on here. We got to remove that part after the <laughs> bleep them out, bleep yeah. them out. Whenever um, I say Matt Teske, it just goes, <laughs> it just goes Matt Teske. So then it, it sounds like <laughs> no, no. There's no reason to to cut that. Out. But but yeah, good dis disclosure there that that you're boosting a friend. But it's no, I think it's a really good point. I think it's an excellent point. And I think in general, just simplifying. Like I don't want. I honestly don't think people should be talking kilowatts, volts, any of that to normal car buyers, because it immediately is like, oh, close the door to, you know, because it's, it's technical. And I do love uh, the focus on saying, you know, m miles per minute or something like that, because people can then comprehend, oh, okay, so you can add 200 miles, 200 kilometers in five minutes, like that's understandable by everybody. And I think what you're saying is a, a kind of tiered system, Although that would add a little complexity, it would it would provide a very clear system of okay, th this car goes three, this car goes seven, you know, and I right. think that that kind of ranking system would be a really good way of, of simplifying and clarifying. But there's always a little bit of complexity, right? And and I think Steve, you know, Steve has sold cars in the past, so he can speak to this. You know, whenever you sell a car, or whenever I used to sell a car that had a premium fuel requirement, like it required 91 octane minimum. Almost inevitably, somebody would say, oh, but I can just put regular in it, right? And then you'd have people who had a car that was, you know, naturally aspirated, not a performance car, like a minivan or something. And they would say, like, I always put premium in it. And they just had no concept that putting premium in a car that's not tuned for it is hurting the car. Like premium doesn't mean better. It just means more <laughs> octane. And I think that, you know, there's always going to be that little bit of complexity you know, Yosemite, there, there was a really great article about this where they were talking about the trash cans at the Yosemite National Park 
and how you have to like maneuver them a little bit to be able to throw trash away. And they do that to keep bears from getting into it. And then the question was, you know, why is this so hard for some people to get? And they just dump their trash on the ground. And the park ranger said, I I don't remember who it was, but the quote was great. He says, there's a significant overlap between the intelligence of smart bears and dumb humans. Steve, that's definitely an invitation for you to. to I know that's like such a Steve line. (laughs) Sorry, I was on mute. (laughs) We got the, we finally got Steve to laugh and he was muted. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I, I make comments like that in my stories all the time and I get blasted by commenters who say I'm irreverent and they're absolutely right. But, you know, (laughs) we're not just Reuters here where we just rip and read the news. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I love the commenters because like even the commenters that I don't like and like, you know who you are, I pick on you publicly, but like even the ones I don't like every once in a while, will say something really, really smart. And I'm like, oh, Damn it! I have to acknowledge that. <laughs> I love I love when Joey. I, I I get these on chat sometimes. Like, well, I'm not a fan of this person, but they, this is a good point or something. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. not necessarily. <laughs> yeah, uh, different things, but yeah. But Freedom Steve, EVs. If you're out there, love you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so Steve, yeah, Joe, Joe's got actually knows Freedom EVs from many years ago. Um, that should be a podcast. <laughs> probably get Freedom EVs on here. Uh, Steve we should. You know He'd be good. Do you want to say anything else about charging or jump into the kind of globalization issue of, okay, we've got Chinese EV companies innovating, like China's not just, uh, you know, low labor, low, low cost labor outsourcing outposts, but it's actually like a leading innovator and globalization is getting more complicated than it used to be. Do you want to jump into that or say more about the supercharging? Well, here's my take on this. Uh, You know, Nixon went to China. And he went to China so the Coca-Cola could sell a billion Cokes a day to the Chinese. And uh, it, the whole thing reminds me of the old song by Sting that says, I will turn your face to alabaster when you find your servant is now your master. Wow, that's a deep cut, Mr. Hanley. Deep, very deep. I don't think anyone under 40 is going to know what we're talking about, but I, it, it's a really interesting point where, you know, we in the West have traditionally looked at China as a market to be, I don't want to use the word exploited, but as, as, as a resource to be taken advantage of as a place to sell as a place to pull resources out of. And they have really put their foot on the, on the proverbial gas pedal here with the uh, acceleration of EVs, EV technology and EV infrastructure. And I I think that what's going to happen is I think there's going to be that shift, right? Where they're, eventually going to say, look, we don't need to sell the components, you know, for Fords or Toyotas or Hondas and have them go to the American market and collect all this money and markup. We can get that markup for ourselves. We're going to bring Neo. We're going to bring Xiaopang. We're going to bring all these companies to the U S ourselves. And I I really wonder (laughs) Volvo car is a great example. A lot of those cars are already made in China and they're tremendously high quality. And the quality of the Chinese Volvos is in my opinion, significantly better than when Volvo was owned by Ford. That's not terribly surprising seeing as <laughs> when, when Ford and GM got into the, this is off topic. When they get into their global minds bigger than yours, I can buy more foreign cars and companies than you can. The quality of the Ford owned products was, was um, oh, pitiful. 
it was yeah it was it was what it was but it I was mean, better than gms but it was still pitiful <laughs> you didn't like your cadillac katera steve uh, <laughs> the katera uh yes and uh, oh the cadillac cimarron wow that was a gem Oh yeah. Well, but I mean, like, you know, getting all the way back, we're going to circle back around to the Dodge products. Now Dodge is literally taking Fiat's and Alfa Romeo's sold in the European market, putting a Dodge sticker on it and calling it job done. Well, and you're absolutely right. And yet Fiat and, and Stellantis are some of the best selling EVs in Europe. A hundred percent. And I, I really hope that, you know, we start to see some of those, Stellantis products like the DS9, the DS7 start coming over stateside. And even if they do get rebadged as Jeeps or, you know, or Dodge or Chrysler, as they eventually will, I think there's a, a tremendous opportunity there. If they kind of embrace that kind of international thing. And, you know, we, again, we were talking about globalization with the Chinese brands, but Stellantis is a great example of globalization between America and Europe and that kind of product sharing. And you also see that, you know, with the Renault Nissan Mitsubishi Alliance, where they've kind of, you know, said, okay, Renault is going to focus on the chassis. Nissan's going to focus on the battery. Mitsubishi is going to focus on, you know, the manufacturing and the low cost components and kind of churn everything out together and build on those economies of scale. I just wonder, you know, if what we've seen from, the just-in-time delivery schedules and the way that these global companies were disrupted supply chain-wise, you know, through the through COVID, if that's not a lesson that's been learned and, you know, we can kind of take a step back and say, hmm, maybe that's not going to work so well. Well, if Stellantis is going to sell those things in the U.S. and they want the EV tax credit, they're going to have to build them here. Yeah, but I mean, Stellantis, I think we can leave Stellantis out, right? Because Chrysler in our lifetime, in my lifetime, Chrysler has been owned by like four or five different companies. They keep going bankrupt. They can't help themselves. So I'm pretty sure that's going to happen again. Yeah. I'm not worried about it. I'm like, I'd take that bet. The CEO of an auto group is like, oh yeah, let's, how about we buy Chrysler? I'd be like, I'd be like, Why? Oh, no, <laughs> no thanks. But, but think about it. So, so we had Chrysler was Chrysler. And then they had the government loan and the government bailout in the 80s. And then American Motors, they merged with American Motors and acquired, I think, either acquired the U.S. Renault operations with the Renault Alliance and the old Grand Cherokee or the old Cherokee that had like that Renault forklift transmission. And then they went bankrupt. Daimler bought them. Then Daimler flipped, you know, spun them off in 2008. They went bankrupt again. Cerberus bought them. They lost a bunch of money. Then they were effectively merged with Fiat. And, and then, you know, they couldn't do anything with that. So now they're Stellantis. Like, I, you know, at some point, somebody's going to pull the plug on these guys, right? Yeah, also, they, they are guaranteed to never, never sponsor us at this point. They have only one product that is worth anything, and that is the... That's the Jeep. Yep, exactly right. Yes. And I don't even know if it's the product that's worth anything. It's the brand name. I mean, yeah. you could put you could put Jeep on a pair of jeans and probably sell that at the mall if people <laughs> still should, went to malls. They should do that. Yeah. So just I think wrapping up or rounding out on this issue of Chinese innovation and, and globalization, I think 
one thing that we're sort of just seeing, whether it's from the the government or or small startups or big startups or legacy even companies in China, is they tend to have a they tend to have the just the sense, the ability to have this you know look at the long term play, look at the long term goal, and then try to you know spend whatever it takes, however many years and resources it takes to become a clear leader in that. And we see that, I mean, in different ways technologically with these EVs. And we see that business in terms of business innovation, you know, or jumping on and, and really delivering, implementing something like this, this battery swapping. And, you know, we see that on the scale of you know, battery minerals, where basically, you know, we've had this discussion where China just dominates processing, refining of, of critical EV battery minerals. And the bigger the EV market gets, if that doesn't change, China has that much more power over everybody else that it can wield uh, as it wishes. So I think, you know, just seeing seeing the future and and making sure to 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 race to the front of the line uh, is something they've been doing very well. And I can't say, I mean, it's for the better as long as as long as uh, it's helping to to spe- accelerate the transition to clean technology. But it's also something you know. A lot of people in the West are starting to to think about a little bit more and and be a little bit more cautious. Like, what does that mean for my economy in five or ten years? Yeah, I think that's that's excellent points all around. Steve, you brought up the the topic, so you want to close out with some final thoughts, not quoting Sting. Well, first of all, I think anybody that wants to be informed should read Michael Bernard's or Barnard's article on Clean Technica about the U.S. and China. It's absolutely fabulous. I don't necessarily agree with it 100%, but he's a lot smarter and knows a lot more about things than I do. And it's just a great article. It's it's must-read stuff for anybody that wants to be informed. So you're referencing the article comparing the U.S. and China on climate economy the thing that bothers me, I mean, look what happened to um, Hong Kong in the last four or five years. And uh, I mean, this, this does not bode well for, a, uh, for our relationship with China. It's uh, a very repressive regime, and it always has been, and it apparently is always going to be. I worry, and maybe it's just me, I worry that the next Cold War is going to be between the U.S. and China. And I'm not at all sure who's going to win that battle. I also want to point out that we cannot afford to have all of these conflicts at the international level if we're going to make any progress towards keeping the earth a place where humans can continue to live. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that that's, you know, I always say this a lot and I get accused of being ageist and, you know, discriminatory and all that. And and I think that's probably a fair criticism, but I'll say it again, you know. I think there really needs to be an age limit on politicians at the national level, whether that's a senator or president. And it's not that I discount the wisdom of older people, but I think if you're shaping laws that are going to, if you're creating laws and writing laws that are going to shape the future of this planet, you should have to be forced to live in the world that you're creating. And so many of these people now that are in their seventies and eighties that are writing laws that, you know, profit them and profit the companies that support them and profit their, you know, their families and things like that. They, they put people over profit because, you know, it's that, that old adage of like, yeah, you know, 50 years from now, this will be a terrible thing, but you know, 50 years I'll be dead. 
Couldn't agree well, with you more, Joe. That seems like a great way to end the podcast. <laughs> real, real doom and gloom, guys. Real, 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 real gloomy. We love to but, end uh, on an upbeat note. You know, make inspire people to come back. By the way, if you were inspired <laughs> or dis- or depressed by this episode, don't forget to like us on your favorite podcast network. Give us a thumbs up on YouTube. Uh, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen for our inspire, inspiring and insightful takes. On Absolutely. And uh, if you want to join me at the local drag strip to uh, laugh and point at the guys in their electric chargers with their fake V8 noise, uh, just reach out to me in the comments. I'll definitely respond. Dodge, if you would like to sponsor an episode of Clean Tech Talk, <laughs> just reach out to our sponsorship team. All right. Thank you, guys. We'll talk Peace. to you. <laughs> Thank you all. That was so good. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks.